Our country is more divided than ever before, and not just between those who put pineapple on their pizza. There's members on both sides of the aisle uh, who are more interested in making noise than they are about governing. From the committee rooms to this floor, we commit to pursue the truth passionately. There's a mic right there, and that's a damn short walk. It's why people don't trust people like you, because you peddle false narratives. And so we disabuse you of those narratives. We must all hang together, Benjamin Franklin said, or assuredly we will all hang separately. Previously on Dakota Town Hall. We're joined right away this week, Mr. Lee Schoenbeck. Where the House and Senate leadership, we have a pretty high regard for each other and try and work together, solve problems, keep things moving smoothly. We talk probably daily. So the other one, the one that first got all the attention, is the land deal. And that land deal is not a China bill. It was all foreign entities. Prison funding is something that's, you know, it's going to get more political. This is an instance where the penitentiary was built in the 1890s or something. That's an old-ass building. If I were to kind of put a roadmap out there, Browns runs for governor. Pretty much most Republican establishment backs out. Dusty runs for Senate. No. Welcome to Dakota Town Hall, South Dakota's weekly political podcast. Back at it once again. We are uh, fully stocked with Noah and Jake. I'm Murdoch, and you are listening to Dakota Town Hall. South Dakota's premier political podcast. And I guess I called it last week, fellas, when I said Nome was going to come back a swinging. Yeah, it was really the Nome week, wasn't it? All kind of kinds of antics, I would say, occurred this week with Nome. Um, let's start here, guys. Well, first off, let's talk about this episode. We're going to have uh, Aaron Tobin, who is hot to trot and uh, has some things to say. So that, we'll, we'll, we'll let her talk about <laughs> what she's going to talk about. But I, I promise <laughs> That will be good. We're going to hopefully have Senator Mike Roll on. Um, I'd like to talk to Mike about what his experience is as a, as a newer and younger um, senator. I think finding um, new recruits to run for office is something that challenges the state. So I'd like to kind of get his take on that and what's that's like. And other than that, it's, it's Gnome's Week. Where do you want to start, guys? Well, one more thing on Roll. Interesting fact about his district. It's almost always been a Democrat district until he took that. Um, that, that Day County area, that was a Democrat district for the most part. Who was the prior senator for him? I have no idea. Yeah, it's probably a Democrat you forgot about. Um, but he, he's a, a young legislator who has done a lot in his time that's been there so far. Well, Noah, let's start here. You were the one that talked to Tobin a little bit before. Let's set this up a little bit. Yeah, so this comes off the heels of an article posted in the Dakota Scout recently, and I don't want to get I don't want to give too much away from giving her the chance to talk about this. But basically, there's been a bill and we've heard this a couple of times now. I believe it's close to the language of the one that got tabled that was brought by uh, Representative Taylor Rayfelt, who we had on a couple of weeks ago and got hog housed in to uh, a different bill. And for people that don't know what that is, is basically you basically take everything out of a bill and put just basically completely new wording in. So they put the language of the bill that is tabled, I believe, into that, into that one. And they tried to have a conversation about it. And frankly, right to life, South Dakota right to life, shut it down. They're like, we oppose this. It starts to strip a uh, slippery slope, blah, 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 blah. So we're going to have Senator Aaron Tobin on to set the record straight on what this bill does. And we're looking forward to the conversation with her. Well, it's important to know what, right to left spot is in our kind of political sphere and peer and in the state they are an incredibly influential group um they have one of the most popular scorecards if you if you care about scorecards theirs is very popular um and it's a very influential group so for them to to for for a conservative lawmaker to come out and say you're doing everything wrong that's a big step and so um i i likely i think i think she's right and i'm looking forward to see what she has to say no are you wow wow that's perfect timing <laughs> Senator, I guess first off, thank you for joining us. Welcome back to the show. And thank I you. want to preface this and to jump right in, you know, we're going to talk a lot today about South Dakota Right to Life, an organization that I looked at their scorecard. Um, you had a 92% score from them yes. over the last two years. So uh, I just want to talk to you a little bit about this bill. And, you know, since last year, um, especially with the overturning of Roe v. Wade and the Dobbs decision, you know, in terms of the dynamic with uh, right to life and that kind of whole conversation, what's changed? 
So actually back uh, last spring, they were sitting down and having Zoom discussions um, to discuss the possibility of that decision being made. And Senator Schoenbeck actually looked at the composition of that group and said, hey, there's no women in this discussion. And so June came along and he asked us, uh, several of us to join in. And so we talked about um, the possible constitutional amendment and we talked about strategy and what people will be looking at now versus what what uh, uh, the legislation surrounding um, abortion and pro-life issues was before because it's changed drastically. Now we actually have the ability to make some decisions and we know that the state of South Dakota voted in 2006 to, um, um, they, they voted against an abortion ban in 2006. And then in 2008, they voted against an abortion ban with exceptions of life, health of, health of the mother and um, rape and incest. So we know it's important to the people to have some exceptions. Um, so that's how the, the conversation has changed now. I kind of want to take a minute to back us up, Aaron. I feel like we'd be doing everybody a service if we would kind of maybe explain in 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 layman's terms maybe where the divide and problem is originally. I think that maybe the listening audience might still be going. I still don't know what the problem is. So the problem is is that the trigger law went into effect, and it does have um, language regarding life of the mother, but it's not certainly clear in the eyes of health professionals. And so they did want some clarification surrounding that at minimum. And our governor was going to hold a special session to create some language surrounding that, but then decided not to. So we as a legislature wanted to try to start talking about what we would possibly be doing, maybe um, clarifying that language surrounding life of the mother and create a health exception a mother who has cancer, maybe she walks into the doctor's office because she's just found out she has breast cancer and also finds out that she's pregnant. Um, we know that with every month that she carries the baby without um, chemotherapy and radiation, her mortality increases by 13%. And she possibly has children at home that need her. So we, I really, I looked at every state. I tried to listen in and read about what the debate on the floor um, looked like in those states because some of the states called special session and I wanted to see how those debates turned out. And then um, Kansas, of course, had a constitutional amendment that was going to ban abortion and that failed. And so I reached out to a Kansas legislator and asked him why he thought that failed. And it really came down to the fact that the ballot, the amendment was confusing and um, the, the pro-choice movement dumped about $20 million into that to defeat that. So I, I wanted to start educating senators surrounding the issues and get them thinking about what they really could vote on if a bill was set in front of them this session. And um, it seemed like we, we really had a good consensus that we needed to do what the people wanted us to do. And we certainly had the votes on this last bill we had the votes to pass it. But again, um, as it came down to the last minute, um, well, I, I guess on the, the first bill that we presented, we got um, Right to Life backed out on us at the last minute. And so we had to circle back and have conversations surrounding whether or not we wanted to advance that forward. And we decided to wait. Um, and then the second bill was watered down. It actually included language that they had given us, but they hadn't yet approved. And um, it was kind of a litmus test. I wanted to see what they would do. And they weren't going to back us, even with their language. And so I think it's very telling that they're not going to help us out on this at all. So uh, is their point of view I, basically that we're, they, they don't want any changes to the current law? Is that kind of their stance? Right. They think they have the best law in the nation and they want to keep it. I, I want to dig into that. And this is it, part of the argument, and correct me if I'm wrong here, is that there's, there's a slippery slope argument. We do this, what's next, when does it stop, right? But, and they, they keep bringing up the threat of this ballot measure. And given what you just told us about, you know, everything that we've seen, especially the one in Kansas this last summer, um, 
you know, I'm looking at an SDSU poll here that says that 49% of South Dakota self-identified Republicans support exceptions, 67% strongly support as a whole exceptions. And wouldn't, couldn't you kind of argue that the logic is opposite, that if people have the majority who wants exceptions and they have that in statute, don't you think the logic could work oppositely and that might be more of a way to stop that ballot measure rather than just staying on the hard line here? Absolutely. Absolutely. When you go to the South Dakota legislature and work for the people, the people tend to not bring constitutional amendments. And here's the thing. Our Taylor, Rayfelt, Sidney Davis and I went to them with palms up. And um, after looking at all the different states, I actually we actually drafted with LRC months before session even started. We drafted exceptions because we wanted to be able to lay the bill language in front of people and see how everybody felt about it. So then Right to Life wanted to see the language and they didn't wanna make any decisions until they saw the language. So I, we gave it to them. And then we hadn't heard from them in a couple of weeks. Then in a legislative forum in Clay County, all of a sudden somebody stands up and says, Senator Tobin's bringing an exception omnibus bill forward. So we had a little bit of some tough discussions with Right to Life about, hey, we came to you, palms up for discussion. You guys knew the context. And now everybody's kind of smearing Senator Tobin's name. And so, you know, we had that first hurdle that we had to overcome. And um, then they came back on board with us with HB 1169. And at the 11th hour, before um, Representative Rayfeld and Senator Davis or I had heard anything, there's kind of um, whisperings in the hallway that the um, governor's not on board and that the attorney general is not, um, does not like our language and that Right to Life is going to back out on us. So we go to Right to Life and say, hey, guys, you want to come to us and talk to us first about this before start talking about this in the Senate hallways, because, you know, if we're really going to bring it, we need to be able to talk to senators about and representatives about um, our side of the story first. You know, they kind of got a leg up on us by by doing it that way. Um, And it turns out the attorney general never even saw the language. He never said that he was against this bill. So there's just been a lot of issues like that that have made it really hard for us to work with right to life. And um, I I don't know what that means for the next legislative session. I'm concerned that they won't ever be able to come forward together with us, but I certainly believe we can do it without them. So what do you think the appetite is of the rest, uh, you know, the House, the Senate, the governor? What do you think the appetite is there for this kind of exception clause? Well, like I said, this was um, life and health of the mother. I had the votes in the Senate to pass it. Senator Um, Tobin, I I disagree a little bit that, you can do it without them. Um, maybe you can in peer at session, but I don't believe you can in any primary form right now. South Dakota Right to Life is an incredibly dangerously one-issue popular group in this state. Right. It makes it. It makes my job really hard when I'm threatened by what they could do to me in a primary, of course. But at the end of the day, I'm up there to do the people's work and. I have went out every time we've had a Cracker Barrel. I've talked to people. I've been talking about it on Facebook. I've been talking about it on the radio. And people are behind me. Um, But yes, Right to Life could still swoop in and and do something that would affect me in a primary, of course. But ultimately, we're doing the right thing for the people of South Dakota. And I wish Right to Life would jump on us to do so. I want to I want to I want to stay right on that right on that street. And, you know, this is a supermajority state, you know, everyone knows, like, you know, I think it's very clear to see primary, the primaries are where the fights happen in the state, and it will be that way for a considerable time. And from a high level perspective, you know, I mean, are is, is, um, scorecard i'll call it scorecard politics i think is the best way to you know is scorecard politics is that good government is that is that productive government does a scorecard really reflect 
all the work that's been done around this issue? Or is there a lot of context missing when it comes to, you know, a mailer that shows up that you voted about this? That mailer is a vote, a yay or nay on a piece of paper. I mean, there's a lot of context missing to a lot of this. So talk to us a little bit about what that's kind of that scorecard politic, how that's kind of hindering some progress that we're seeing around a lot of issues in the legislature. Absolutely. It hinders progress um, because just like me speaking with you guys here in the last 10 minutes, look at all the context that no one else knows. No one else knows any of those stories that actually played out. And then at the end of the day, if we do set down a bill that has a health exception and right to life doesn't like it, they won't understand all of the the battles that we went through to try to make me um, to try to have consensus. And so it really puts a, a false, it gives a false perception to what really, you know, plays out. And I've seen that with a lot of scorecards. I don't like them. And I think scorecards also create a, um, a way for people to um, um, signal, create law that just is signaling that they're doing the work when the real work might not even be um, um, included in that bill. For instance, um, you know, some bills, they don't even really affect much law. They don't really change anything, but it's just virtue signaling that these people want to bring forward. And none of us can vote no on it because of the virtue signaling. We don't want to be then scored against. And so it just makes for kind of a messy, uh, messier legislative session because we have to vote yes to get that scorecard um, uh, score. So it's not used against us. Not well, to mention right. how how cherry picked these scorecards are themselves. I mean, That's, you look yeah. at what's on the scorecards and like Citizens for Liberty, for example, incredibly cherry picked to make their point across. Well, sure. And they, they, they won't write their card until after they get through session, right? Like they'll, they'll judge it based on the, based on a variable scale, but due respect to scorecard politics, you guys are blaming the scorecard, not the scorekeeper. Citizens for Liberty is a perfect example. I'll use two West River good, what I would call a good scorecard, bad scorecard. Elevate Rapid City has had success in having people change their mind and not in a fighty way. They have actually said, well, no, here's here's what you don't understand. And maybe, you know, allowing our leaders to have new information and then change their mind to not bury them with it. So I I agree a little on scorecard politics being the tip of the sword, but I I, I wouldn't blame the card. I agree. And... Through all of this, I've thought um, we possibly need to create our own score scorecard so that if you get one from one organization telling part of the story, you get a second one from the other organization telling more of the story. And absolutely agree. Dakota Town Hall so, scorecard coming in, right? I was just going to say. Oh, <laughs> yes. 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 We'll start a scorecard. Heavily waited until it came on our podcast, basically. <laughs> You know, Uh, what else do you guys have for the good Senator Tobin? Yeah, I want to, you know, I want to, I want to get in on just, you know, to kind of, to kind of wrap this whole up. And I wanted to add on to a little bit, you know, it's, it, it takes five seconds at a Cracker Barrel in Sioux Falls or at, you know, go on some Facebook group. And it's like, you know, the evil Republican caucus has killed another common sense exceptions reform. And I think it is, I think it is very prevalent, you know, and it's, I think it is, well, thank you for coming on the show. And there's a lot of context missing there because what people don't understand is, you know, to some extent, people who bring these kind of bills have a gun to their head and they have that gun to their head the entire time. And, you know, marching you guys up and down the stairs. So, so my question is then from a South Dakota right to life perspective, what do you, what's, what's the end game here? If they won't do this, you know, if not now, then win. And that's been the hard, the hardest part of all of this is that, you know, Senator Schoenbeck has been looking towards the future. Um, myself, um, Senator Davis, Representative Rayfelt, we're looking at the future. And I don't feel like we have right to life yet looking to the future. I think they're taking it day by day and they're going to find themselves behind and it, it's going to be out of their control. Um, and I just think it's because it shifted so fast that they they weren't ready to change strategy. You know, they have 24 stakeholders. Every time they make a decision, 
every time they make a decision, they have to go back to those stakeholders. I mean, these decisions have to be made quickly sometimes, and they just don't have the right process in place. And um, like the whispering in the hallways, if we want to create good legislation, we have to be palms up and respectful of each other as colleagues. And I just don't think they're there yet. And I'm hopeful that they can get there. I think it's a great sentiment, uh, Senator. I, I 100% agree with you. If we don't start making laws so we can be respectful governors with pro-life or governing with pro-life laws, we're going to lose it. We're going to lose it on a statewide level. And I think Right to Life needs to get on board with that, that this is not set in stone yet. We're still in the fluid. Exactly. And I'm doing my best, guys. Doing everything. Uh, as a more moderate uh, Republican here on this call, I, I would I would also maybe encourage the militant side of the pro-life argument to find a more empathetic voice um, and include perhaps. And, and, I, and Senator Tobin, I'm, I'm understanding your scorecard two weeks ago was at 92 percent, probably might have some disagreements on on where the line would be, but a more moderate. And, and compassionate approach is it, it, on this one ticket issue or the or the 30s will be filled with South Dakota Democrats and beer. And and because, I mean, that's what's historically happened since the 1700s, guys. We are giving them an in right now to win seats. It's an easy topic to take their side on. And we're going to regret it if we don't start uh, governing responsibly. I agree. That is Senator Aaron Tobin. Thank you so much for coming on and uh, and being so candid with us. Yes, no problem. I'm going to go Senator. enjoy your pizza. Yeah. Enjoy your pizza. <laughs> yes. See ya. See ya. Bye. See ya. Bye. Should we get you that know, ding dong from the say... Northeast on this son bitch? Oh, hell yeah. Is he, is he live in Webster? He Where here? does he actually live? Where does Roll live? Let's do a little bit of a coming out bit on that, on that last one. Um, yeah. I think I got to say coming out of that one, Senator Tobin's awesome. B everything she said was, in my, at least in my opinion, spot on. It's rational. That it's rational. We have in this, I mean, you watched it this year. It's hardline, hardline, hardline. And, you know, this is not, you know, however many years ago. You know, there is an appetite in South Dakota to have these conversations. And there, I know we're talking, like, there's lives at risk on all sides of this conversation. And that is not a pro-choice argument. That is it is time in not only a stage of modern medicine, but a time of the time to have this conversation is now. And, you know, this, this hypothetical. Yeah, go for it. Is there no room for pro-choice Republicans? I, I don't think there really is. As legislators, I, I don't believe so. And, so, and I, I tend to agree. Not in the state. Not in the state. That's for well, sure. We're specifically talking about South Dakota, but like. Boy, that seems short-sighted long-term. See, I think we can govern responsibly. That's what it comes down to to me. I mean, the way I see it, every life you can save with pro-life causes is a good life saved. So we have to unfortunately give up a few with these exceptions. We're still saving thousands and thousands of lives. So I think we've got to put in that context. Look how far we've come. Let's not lose how far we come. I mean, the the Dobbs decision was a, what, 40-year-long task that the the pro-life movement had to do to get to the Supreme Court and get that passed. We need to be responsible here, pass laws that can keep this pro-life state operating. So yeah, and I think I, I think there is still I, I think there is still hope for this conversation. You know, like obviously there's tussles with right to life going on right now. I'm not gonna that doesn't discredit all the work that they've done in the past. I mean they've done a lot of good work in South Dakota. But I also think, you know, I don't remember where I heard this. I heard this a while back. The Dobbs decision when it came to these pro-life groups is the dog kind of caught the car. And now that the dog caught the car, we're trying to decide to do with the car we just caught, right? So I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt. I think I think what Aaron Tobin said, like I said, my opinion is true. But, you know, give them time. You know, hopefully by the next legislative session, the time will come to have these conversations. But, you know, you, you got to give it time. Hopefully they get around to it but for now you know i i still believe the time to have those kind of conversations is right now let's kick it to our good friend from the northeast senator mike roll how are you man i'm doing good how are you doing very good senator roll i was curious which town do you live in in the northeast like what's your actual 
uh, home city? Uh, I mean, technically, I my my mailing address is Aberdeen. Um, I live a couple miles outside of it, so so technically, I live in Lincoln uh, Township. Okay, I was just curious. See, like, because it's, it's it's Day County, is that correct? Is that no? Is it's it it's in Brown County. Day County is is uh, is in District One, obviously, as well as Marshall and uh, Northern Roberts, but. Uh, Basically, got everything in Brown County with the exception of Aberdeen City Limits. Right. Aberdeen City Limits is a real, real bad name of a country record. Uh-huh. <laughs> That's a flat Murdoch. Sometimes they don't all work. Sometimes they don't no, all work, guys. No, most of them don't. All well, right. Yeah, you're not, you're not leading me much with that. Senator Rowland, I, I want to talk about what you got cooking. You've had you've had you've had an interesting year so far. I want we want to get to the bills that you've been uh, introducing and kind of where you're at on those. Um, I, I'd maybe like to start if you don't mind. Um, you're a younger, newer senator. Um, you're you are um, probably are you the youngest? I am. Yep. And and this is and this is your um uh is this have you been reelected? This is your second term or this is your first term? Uh this is my second. Yeah. So I was uh I was 29 when I first, you know, filed my petitions. Um I got elected at 30. Uh, I did my first term and and I just got reelected again uh last November. So What's it like getting like, where do you for um, one of the things we'd like to do on this is talk about candidate recruitment a little bit. I think it's where we're weak at in some districts. So like, what's what's the process like? How what's what advice would you have? What are the things you wish you wouldn't have done? Why don't you tell us about this journey a little? I don't know if you guys have enough time for all that, but uh, I'll cut you off if you get boring. Yeah, no, it's uh, I took a different path than than most people. I, I wasn't you know, that person that was recruited or I didn't have a friend say, you know, hey, we need someone to run in this this particular seat. Um, you know, I, I grew up outside of Aberdeen and uh, I, I ended up going to college in uh, Des Moines, Iowa at Drake University. And I moved out to uh, Colorado for a couple of years. And, and when I moved back home, um, I, I happened to buy a, a house out on Richmond Road. Um, is what uh, is what they call it. And during that time, I you know I've always been somewhat politically active, and and I guess those people that that are familiar with Drake know in, in general it's a pretty politically active school being in uh, being in Des Moines. And I, I guess I kind of followed along, and and Susan Wismer was actually my uh, my senator. Uh, when I moved back home and, um, you know, I, I'm not the, the person that's super polarized either way into, into either party. Um, you know, I, I'm, you know, I like Sam that every day kind of South Dakota and that just wants good government. And I, uh, I had kind of went back and I watched, um, you know, the filing process kind of go, um, you know, January and February went and, and no one had, had filed to run. Um, so I kind of started thinking about it and, I was tossing it back and forth in my head. And actually one day I, I own a bar up in Aberdeen and um, my bartender was sick and I was just filling in and a particular lady came in the bar, uh, made a couple comments and, and I just kind of threw out as a joke, you know, obviously being a bartender, you have to, to keep a conversation going to some capacity. And I threw out that when I was governor, I would fix it. And this lady almost fell off her stool laughing for, for 45 seconds, maybe a minute about how bartenders don't become governor. And, uh, you know, it kind of just lit that spark in me where I was just like, okay, well, first of all, I'm not, but you know, you want to go there, let's go there. And, uh, I kind of used that fuel, uh, to to motivate myself to to print off petitions, to to read the rules, to figure it all out. And I actually went out and got signatures. Um, you know, just went door to door, talking to people, ended up getting the signatures and, and mailed it in. And I didn't even tell my parents till about, I don't know, maybe a week after I mailed in, uh, you know, the actual petitions that, that I was going to run. Um, and I remember they both looked at me being like, you know, you're an idiot. Why, why'd you do that? <laughs> uh, you know, going against a long-term incumbent in a, in a district that's, you know, was traditionally blue. Uh, so, so I'm not sure I'm the, the, the model of, of how you recruit people because really in my world, it, uh, it was some lady that just pushed me over you're really the, uh, but, uh, but the I, AOC of the South Dakota politics, the bartender, right? Yeah. Well, you know, you, you can call it what <laughs> it is. Uh, I, I generally don't like to be, you know, compared to her. But um, on the flip side, I think it's a good example, though, that, you know, in my particular case, I was just filling in that day. I, I have a triple major degree from Drake University. Um, I've been fairly successful in my life. You shouldn't judge somebody just because what what they're doing um, in, in that moment. You don't know their scenario and you don't know what's going on. Uh, but I also think it's something that's made me really thrive um, and be able to kind of provide a different voice 
in the Senate, because when I'm interacting with a lot of a lot of different people in my community, it's not the same 30 people that are in, you know, the political elite or the political establishment. I'm seeing the everyday person. Uh, you know, it, I get hit up on issues. It's not like I can decide today hey, I'm going to go door to door and talk to people. Every day I'm at work, I'm talking to people. It's, it, it, you know, it, uh, it definitely gives a different perspective and, and kind of allows me to, to, to give a different voice on that. And, you know, even stuff like Senate Bill 40, which unfortunately I see the House uh, House didn't like um, this week. It, you know, that that's a really important bill, um, you know, giving the power back to the to the everyday person. We, we just live in such a polarizing environment that, uh, you know, the, those are the kind of kind of issues I, I like to take on where it's it, it's it shouldn't be an issue of what the Democrats want or what the Republicans want. It's, it should be what the people of District 1 want. Um, you know, what, what's my average neighbor that doesn't have time to come to a Cracker Barrel because he's working, his wife's working, uh, you know, his kids have stuff going on. He's He's working so hard to make his life go around. He just wants government to come in and do the right thing and quit telling him how to live. Um, so I, I try to give those people a voice and, you know, obviously I get, uh, I get some odd looks from some people in peer with, with some of the, the issues that I'm willing to take up. But uh, again, I, I, you know, if, if 20 people can pass a bill, I don't want to carry that bill. They're, give it to one of the other 19 people. I want to carry a bill that I'm the only person that can get through, or I'm the only person willing, um, to take the arrows to get through because that, that's what it's about. Um, I'm, I'm not in this for the long game of becoming president or vice president or, you know, whatever, whatever end goal you, you want to have. Oh, I'm no, we know you're not. Of, Don't worry. Yeah. I'm <laughs> in the end game of, of trying to make my neighbor's life better. Um, that That's the way that, that my life's going to be better because if you make a stronger community, what more do you want from, from an elected leader? Uh, I don't want to tell my people how to live. I want to try to give them better opportunities to make that decision for themselves. You know, I'm glad you brought up Senate Bill 40 because this is the topic that we would uh, that we would like to talk about. And, you know, it amended to only the lieutenant governor being removed. And I want to clarify this is so it goes to a conference committee now, correct? And if so, is there still like, is the story over? Is this thing in final form or is the conversation ongoing? Uh I got a pretty good feeling it's going to be an all or nothing type scenario. That's kind of where the Senate uh, Senate was. And obviously we saw the, the House didn't uh, didn't like where the Senate was. And, um, you, you know, I, I would assume, um, obviously, when it comes back, well, the, the option of either concurring, um, just, you know, not concurring and uh, not appointing, or we cannot concur and appoint. I, I'm guessing we'll, we'll try to take the high road and not concur and, and appoint and see if see if the house can't be reasonable and, and giving the people of South Dakota, you know, a saying who their elected leaders are. Um, but, but I don't see some middle ground where you see, well, the Lieutenant governor gets picked by, by the governor and uh, the average person can't, can't pick who, who they want on the ticket for, for the attorney general or secretary of state, you know, PC auditor, any of these constitutional uh, positions. So I, I think the Senate's, you know, pretty, pretty dug in on that. Um, We'll, we'll see if the house is as well. Obviously, I prefer this not to be something that that ends up going out, uh, collecting signatures and putting on the ballot. But I've certainly heard that sentiment uh, from some individuals because at, at the end of the day, you just can't convince me that 600 people in a back room at a hotel um, are, are are better for the state than than having the 120,000 people that voted in the primary um, for the Republican Party. Um, you know, obviously, past people have have stated the, the different dif- or the difference in in the votes cast whether you know it was Clark County or, or you know the state county one of the counties I represent didn't have a single voice at that convention um, but but yet they had quite a few people vote in the primary and and I know because they voted for me um, but yeah yet- I recall I recall leaving the the convention last summer in Watertown and I was headed to my car and you were as well Senator Roll um, and you may I can't remember exactly what your comment was you made the comment that this has got to end. This is not how it should be done. Um, yeah, it, it was embarrassing as a Republican. It, it truly was. There was like 46% yeah. of, of the folks there voted not to support the top of the ticket. It, uh, insane. I, I mean, it, it, it's not crazy. logical. Yeah. No. And then the whole um, mess of the Senate governor, it, all around, it was an absolute mess and it was an embarrassment. It, it was. The only, the only true positive I can say about that convention, and I wish I knew his name, um, I can't think of it off the top of my head, but Jake, you should know it. The uh, the, the chair of the County oh, County Mayor, Republicans, uh, is Mayor Reed Holine. 
yeah, Mayor Reed Holy is just a rock star. Former senator, actually. I think he sat, he might sat at your desk currently. Where you sit right now? Um, or you sat last time. But yeah, Senator Reed, our former Senator Reed Holy, Mayor Reed Holy, great guy. Well, I heard your dad might be in uh, be in his last term, so I wouldn't mind him stepping back up and, and doing it. But I'm I'm guessing he's got better things with his life. I mean, yeah, he's got oh, a pretty okay. good dig right now as mayor. So, Mike, hey, what bills are you uh, giving a bill that's going well, and give us a bill that didn't go worth a damn this year for you? Uh, well, I only uh, last. My, I brought 11 bills. I got 10 of them through the Senate and eight on the governor's desk. And it was a lot of work. Um, and quite frankly, this year, I, I didn't have time to, to, to go that in depth, obviously. Um, I had two elections. I had a primary and a general. So when you're spending a lot of your summer, you know, not even knowing if you're coming back, trying, trying to go out there and meet, meet uh, more of your people and, and try to listen, you don't have as much time to to work with other other legislators to be able to line up bills um, for the session. But I, I did bring four different uh, four different bills this year. Um, the, the first one's already been signed into law. That was uh, Senate Bill 88, and uh, that particular one deregulated taxi service. Um, we had a law from the 1950s that essentially said uh, local municipalities could uh, essentially price fix or, or set the price of a taxi. Um, they, they obviously did it for consumer protection you know, back in the 50s, but with Lyft and Uber and their ability to, to charge uh, surge pricing, um, you know, I just thought it was fair to, to allow local business owners to, to be able to set their own prices um, and be able to compete in a market. Obviously, that market uh, has evolved, so it's important that you don't have laws restricting uh, other parts of the industry from evolving with it. Uh, I'd probably say the most, well, I got controversial ones left and right, but uh, the other one that's still alive is actually on the House floor. Uh, Senate Bill 197, and uh, that particular bill bans uh, spouses of lobbyists from being uh, employed or why, employed as lobbyists. Why, why is that at all controversial, Mike? Well, it's controversial because the people that are voting on it are also the ones that are, would be restricting their spouses, I would assume. Um, and, uh, you know, obviously the, the Julie uh, situation didn't, uh, <laughs> the Julie situation certainly didn't help it, but I think it's funny because that bill originated uh, from the former senator from District 25, uh, Marcia. Marcia, she uh, she had brought that bill up and you know kind of wanted me to to try to get a pass, and, and she did it because she didn't like Tim Rave's wife running. <laughs> and I just think it's hilarious because I, you know, when I heard it, I was like, well, you know, I actually agree with it, but I don't know if I'm gonna have the juice to be able to get uh, that particular fight through and. And then obviously we had a situation the first week of session where where Julie's husband was distributing uh, materials out on the Senate floor at a time that it was closed off to lobbyists. And he was able to get away with that because the sergeant at arms thought he was just on the floor as a spouse. Uh, so that's actually when I was like, OK, well, this is obviously a problem. And I sent an <clears throat> email to uh, the LRC trying to get something drafted and uh, they ended up getting it back to me and uh, we had the the whole, um, I don't know what you guys ended up calling it, but it ended up being like, yep, well, this is going to happen. And, you know, obviously the the very same people that had a significant problem with uh, Tim Ray's wife running in District 25 are all the same people voting against this bill right now. So it kind of makes you wonder if, if that was a straw argument or not. Um, but I think it's good policy because when you think about it, you know, if, if uh, the majority leader's wife wanted to be a lobbyist that that a puts a lot of pressure on the rest of us um and just kind of makes it a, a unique situation that that's uncomfortable to begin with but even more so if, if i was this big corporation and i wanted to to get something done well i think the best way to probably do that would be to pay a spouse's lobbyist they don't even have to go to peer and actually lobby for you because in essence you're paying a, a legislator um and you're doing it legally so I, get, I thought it was a good loophole uh, or a good way to close the loophole I don't know why Donna Schoenbeck's not cashing in on this while she can. Uh, you know, she's making so, yeah. back power grab. huge mistake on her part. I mean, she hates being a peer, so I understand why she's not doing it, but huge, huge loss on her part. Yeah, and then uh, I guess my other two controversial bills, uh, one of them died on the Senate floor on a 17-18 uh, vote, and that uh, was getting rid of uh, South Dakota's kind of draconian uh, ingestion law, which – where uh, there's 10 states that, that have ingestion laws as a misdemeanor. Um, Arizona's got a statute that allows it to be a misdemeanor or a felony, and South Dakota's the only one that, that charges it as a true felony. So, you know, there's been a lot of talk about tax cuts. This, Up into uh, a, this uh, oh. 
you, you cut out there. Kinda, sorry, I, I tried to uh, basically set it up as a system where, you know, the first two times someone had an ingestion charge, they would uh, basically have to be evaluated for uh, drug, drug and alcohol treatment and given back or, you know, given have that report turned back to the judge for, for that judge to be able to uh, to decide whether that person should go to jail or whether that person person needs treatment or whether they need a combination of the two. So really what it was trying to do was, you know, clear up some space in our in our prisons with with nonviolent uh, drug addicts, which, which is essentially what they are. They're, you know, they're addicts, they're addicted and uh, try to get them some some treatment. But, uh, you know, it's, it's a pretty controversial issue that, that I know has been, you know, brought for the past decade. Um, so that, that was a hard one to lose because uh, no one's I'm the only person that's ever got that bill out into the Senate floor and uh, to come up this time, just short one vote. It, you know, that's, that's tough. Cause you feel like you just let down so many, so many people that, that have friends or family that, that are addicts and do need treatment. Um, and, and, you know, trying to provide a path for them to, to get that. Um, so, so that was certainly the, the heartbreak um, I, I would say. And, and my last one was something that I did not think was controversial. And <laughs> I thought it would actually go pretty, pretty smoothly and yeah, it was the, the exact opposite of that uh where i ended up getting a, a bill to the floor that uh essentially took a marijuana concentrates and took the equivalencies that that we made for for the medical program and used the same equivalencies for concentrates in the criminal uh code so it would also be a, a crime um uh, but the, the way we're we're currently set up is the Supreme Court actually ruled in the 90s that, that marijuana can be treated as a controlled one substance. So that promulgated the legislature to come in and, and make a bunch of different uh, laws specifically dealing with marijuana. But back in that time, it was just marijuana as, as the raw uh, flower product. Um, you know, there wasn't legal states and the, the, the markets for concentrates were, were not what they are today. Um, so currently in South Dakota, if, if you know you have one gummy or, or uh, one cartridge, you know one concentrate, it's uh, it's an automatic felony. So really, what this bill did was try to say if you, you know if you have the equivalent of one ounce uh, of concentrates, um, you you would get the class one misdemeanor, which currently in our law you, you get two ounces of flour um, for that same class one misdemeanor. I guess it was really more designed to, to try to help you know whether it be the the 40 college students on average a year at SDSU um, that get caught with, with concentrates and get a felony um, and have to use their suspended position. It was kind of trying to target these people because in a lot of these scenarios, um, you know, a, a large portion of South Dakota, depending on your election, you know, in 2020, it, you know, obviously had a majority support with, with multiple subjects. Um, in 2022, it came up just shy, but that, that was selling it on Main Street. Um, you know, this this particular thing was still still criminalizing it. I, I just thought it was a little little more fair. I didn't, uh, or I don't believe that that simple possession of of, of cannabis or ingestion of cannabis um, should lead to felony charges. I mean, in in theory, the way our law is structured, you're certainly allowed to charge the person. But I don't necessarily think it's right that if an individual in the state, um, you know, goes to Colorado or, or goes goes to one of the other 21 states that I have. Uh, recreational marijuana and consumes of it later comes back you know even two weeks later and still has it in their system um theoretically they can get charged with a felony in south dakota and, and in my eyes they, did, they didn't harm the state in any way shape or form um with that action so i knew i would never win uh you know after the most recent vote i, I knew i wouldn't win the, the battle to try to decriminalize it um or even legalize it but you know i i thought we were on enough of a page where we weren't going to uh to felonize it um, just make it a better law basically trying to uh, but unfortunately uh, i only got 14 on that one and, and that was one of the ones that went to the floor and the department of public safety was was adamantly uh opposed to and, and lobbying against and yeah and i knew when i mean I, they were up on the senate floor this week lobbying against golf carts on roads that are 25 miles an hour like that's ernie on's bill isn't it oh yeah, yeah we've talked uh, about that bill before actually no ernie on's bill died this one actually came over from uh it was a house bill from General, uh, can't think of what it is. It's uh, Casey Crabtree's seat, our house member. This guy is a Rice, uh, Jim Rice. Rice, Rice, Rice. Yeah, he's a, he's a former sheriff. Uh, guy. Yeah, he, he was in uh, NPR. He, he was in the executive branch, uh, working in the, the cabinet secretary for a while, I believe. Um, 
you know, this guy is, is super public safety. He, he's not going to go on board or something that, that he thinks wrong. And they were opposed to that. Um, so when I knew that they were out lobbying, and you, you wouldn't believe it, when I walked up that morning, because um, I got 745 committees every day because Jake's dad hates me. Um, <laughs> so when I was walking in that day, there was, there was 15 blue badge lobbyists working that bill uh, trying to kill it, which, you know, gave me a smile because obviously I knew when there was that kind of number of them out there, it was probably going to die. But the fact they had to send 15 made me, made me smile. Um, you know, it, I don't think Senator, they underestimate me quite as much as they did last term. Senator, he'd like you more, my, my father, if you wouldn't stop, if you'd stop t- stealing his ties. I think he would really appreciate that if you stopped stealing his ties. Ties are making fun of his ties. <laughs> I think he has a matching ties these days. I think one gummy and Senator Schoenbeck would love Senator Roll. <laughs> uh, well, he, he seems to like me more after a glass of wine, so maybe, maybe there's some truth to that. Well, uh, me too, Mike. Me too, man. No, I appreciate you guys having me. I uh, I was actually a little bummed though when when you texted me asked me to come on, just because every you know every Friday I kind of look forward to listening to it, and I don't I don't know if I'm going to be you know excited to listen to myself. <laughs> yeah. Well, like I, I already know I say crazy stuff all the time. I I don't know. You're like you know, when you have a new guest, I'm like, oh, are they going to say something crazy? Like you know, I don't know. I want to add one thing on there. Um, you know, there's always been a debate between students who spend time around the legislative process about who has the better, who has the best ties in the legislature. And as I say this, I'm about to earn myself a text from Lee at some point tomorrow night. But I think the obvious tie champion is Senator Michael Roll. Uh, without a doubt. I mean, You're I don't really, want to knock Lee. I don't want to knock her you're, you're knocking Donna <laughs> Schoenbeck more than you're not knocking Lee Schoenbeck. She buys well, it. Well, no, time. back up. No, no, back up. Whoa. I was just about to say, it's, it's certainly grown better since my first session after I had to point out a few times. And then I will admit, Donna has stepped up her game she and has. she has gotten uh, some nicer ties for Lee, but she needs to work with him on, like, you know, what month it is and maybe don't wear the uh, Jack Lantern tie on Valentine's Day and, you know, stuff like that. Like, try to. <laughs> Try to theme your tie with your life. I will admit that Lee's tie game has dramatically improved. It was getting for a while there. It was it was it was woofta bad. Uh, thank you, Donna. The Winnie the Pooh one is undefeated though. You'll never beat Winnie oh, the Pooh. That, that was a gift from one of us. I think all of us kids for Christmas, like back in the nineties. I want to say that's how you know your dad loves you. He wears your ugly ties. Oh yeah, he, he's <laughs> dedicated to that. So that's uh senator mike roll thanks for coming on man you guys have a good weekend yeah thanks for having me guys thanks see you senator you still want to unbuckle on gnome yeah somewhat she did some other stupid shit this week with that stupid branding iron let's i know for fuck's sake that veto it is it is it is i mean yeah i mean it was cringy like cringy that's the good word for it I mean, I remember the whole show horse versus workhorse thing, because it's all it is. I mean, that bill was a good bill. That was the biggest dipshit veto I've ever seen. I mean, oh, that yeah. was Isn't so... that gross? I, so this is like, less government, more freedom. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> okay. So, like, Jake, let's go back to Governor Nome and her antics this week. Um, she, I saw her with the, with the veto brand uh, um, this morning. Yeah, that was uh, an interesting choice. Uh, the bill she vetoed. So those who don't know, Noam took a giant hot. I don't know it was hot. Actually, probably wasn't hot at the point because it was dipped in ink, red ink, and branded the word veto on a bill with a giant brander. Um, the bill itself was like House Bill was 1187 or something like that. Uh, House Bill 1109 that would have allowed for a increased fee at hotels for business improvement districts. Um, think like downtown Sioux Falls, for example. Really good bill. Um, it affects tour- tourism, basically. It, it takes more money off tourists. That's kind of what it is. Dome um, has this giant brander. And it's just, it's just so over the top. Like, it's just, it's so clearly done. Like, the bill was like, I'm denying a tax, uh, increased tax. It will this- be, it'll be popular theatrics, devil's advocate. No, it won't be. It was cringy. It was weird. It was just like, how many retweets that thing have right now? Ah, uh, we can look. Yeah, I mean, Murdoch's got a point. That was great strategy. Like, no, it was... she can say that she might have not gotten her tax cut, but you know, a tax cut came up, and she said, "Nope." 
We're I have a lowering with- taxes this year. We're not raising them. Like, that was good. Like, like regardless of what you think about, you know, her or her team, that was brilliant. Like, it was a I don't good was. move. I-, I will give that to him. So, I don't know okay. if I would go as far as brilliant. Mm-hmm. I just think she's wildly popular on these dumb things. I, I, I think Jake said it right. It's cringy. Yeah. Uh, uh, I, I, I wouldn't go as far as calling it brilliant. I would call it good strategy. It was so is that dumb flamethrower thing. So the thing with this, 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 she wanted to get rid of it because it was a tax increase, right? And she wants tax cuts. But this tax increase was designed to benefit our tourist industry. That's what it was designed for. And her whole theory behind the food tax cut was that it would, it would not affect our revenue from tourism. But when a bill comes up that would increase your revenue from tourism, she vetoes it. So, so what's the thought process there? There really is none. It's all theatrics. She's a show horse. It's just getting so disappointing every single week. This stuff keeps happening. And we had the video. Noah, with the whole... Go ahead. Well, Noah, Noah what, is, what is Governor Nome? What, what is she looking for? What is her win? The win here is that she vetoed a tax increase. And, you know, technically she did. And, like, this, you know, listening to some of her comments where she talks about, she's like, like, they gave the Bart- the letter right to Hugh Bartles. I-, I don't know how long it was before. I don't know if whatever. They gave it to him and he read it from the podium. And they're like, she's like, these can often be layered. And this money can be, like, she made it sound like this is some, this BID is some kind of, like, backroom deal. And it's just not. So uh, the win here, I guess, if you're a political director on Gnome's team, you're sitting there, like, we vetoed a tax increase. And, but I also think, you know, was that one really, was that the one, you know, like that really could have helped out a lot of municipalities. Was that, you know, was that the one to do it with? I don't know. You know, that, it, it comes and that's back to that. It, it, she, what her decisions she's making are not in the best interest of South Dakotans these days. I mean, you look at what she's doing. It's all about building a national brand. And to me, as someone who voted for, her, I mean, it's disappointing. We were so hopeful for, for Nome to, uh, back in, what was her first election? Was that 2016? To, to be uh, 20, sorry, 2018. There we go. To, to be a good, strong governor. And now she's just doing things that get her in the spotlight of the national media and not just stuff for South Dakotans. I mean, it's are really you, upsetting. Jake, are you saying that this is all just antics, perhaps as CPAC is starting this week? That makes sense to me. I mean, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, if you actually look at this bill, I'll look at the merits of the bill. I don't care. It's a tax increase. Look at who's increasing taxes on. Increase the taxes on out-of-staters that come to visit, enjoy our great state. So, yeah, they get to pay more taxes because they're enjoying our great state. This veto is not interest of the people. It's interest of her brand. Literal brand. I, I think it's such an interesting crossroads because while I think it's probably an accurate description that the folks in peer are frustrated by this the folks the everyday mom and pops in south dakota still kind of think she's emperor gnome due respect and 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 probably like a lot of this theater you're not wrong i mean yeah that's why she's doing it it's and it's just again disappointing like the dad i'm not, I'm not mad i'm just disappointed i'm just disappointed I'll give you all of the credit in the world if you will say that when she comes on to this show and, and, and we get to ask that question. Happily. I've already lost my endorsement for 2024. I know that. So I, I'm welcome to I'm the club. Jake. We had jackets yeah, made. I'm just, I'm just being honest. Like the, I'm, I'm saying it how I see it. And this is disappointing politics. Does, is this a, is this a goofy way to jam the food tax back in to this session and some goofy compromise that's got to come from the house now? Because sorry, Patrick, a little bit. The uh, the Senate passed the 0.2 percent decrease in sales tax with a two year sunset clause on it, and no bit like that. So she, now she's trying to veto it. I don't think she will because um, I've talked to a few legislators. The votes are there to overturn the veto. These are hollow. Threats. I was just going to ask if she were to override, if she were to veto that, d- 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 are there the votes to sustain or override? Oh, it's going to be overridden easily. 
Oh, easily. Easily. Now, okay, hold on a second. We've been to Vito's before with her, and everybody was easily this, easily that. And all of a sudden, she shows up in Pier and starts busting some skulls, and then it's not as easy as you think. So every other year, the general bill, which the general bill, by the way, is the funding bill. It funds the state. It's our budget. Um, Every other year, it's owned by a different uh, body. So it's either the Senate or the House. This year, it's the Senate. And I can tell you with pretty, I, I can guess that the Senate's going to be able to pass that bill on with a two thirds majority if she vetoes it. So good luck, Governor. I guess that's a good way. That's that. I can't think of a stronger way to end the topic than that, man. Well done. Good luck, Governor. Good luck, Governor. <laughs> um, let's see. What are we missing? We covered, uh, we covered uh, SB 40. Oh, did you guys see that? Uh, there's some news out of District 30 that Senator Frymuller's husband might be running. And I hear the dairy industry is a big backer of his. The dairy industry? Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I walked right into that one. I can't did, did. Get it right that, was that was good. That was good. That was yeah. good. Yeah. No, he's not lactose intolerant. Hey, boy. A Michael roll. On a Michael roll. Uh, I can talk about DC a little. I met with John and Mike and and Dusty yesterday. If we want to do that as a Cos- as a half a wrap up, Cosmo Camp like, Counselor. Yeah. Um, I did. I did. That's how I'll start it. Jake, I got to see your old camp counselor. How's that? Uh, you know, eighteen going on thirty six year old doing? He still looks eighteen. Uh, and then we and so uh, for those of you who don't know, I'm out in DC this week. Um, I'm on uh, for a broadcasters fly in, and so yesterday, uh, you know, other other broadcasters come here and they, they don't have a personal. You know, South Dakota is so rural. We all have a like we've all seen these guys a million times, right? So we all kind of know each other. So we get to talk about being camp counselor and all that. Dusty takes us over to this balcony to take a picture. He's the fastest moving some bitch I've ever met in my life. He, it's incredible. It's, it, I don't like golfing with him would be a deal. I bet uh, if you're not on a he, cart, he's found the fountain of youth. That guy, he has I, not. It's, it's amazing. I mean, this, so I was I was a teen Republican camp, and he was my camp counselor, and people thought he was a camper because he looks so I young. I can't teenage Republican camp with Dusty Johnson sounds like it sounds like the dorkiest children's book of all time Jake we had, we had a great time it was very <laughs> very fun I uh, know I want to send a quick thanks to uh Senator Thune Senator Rounds and uh and uh Representative Johnson's staff they were all very accommodating and and super cool and it was uh great to have conversations with all of them um I'm I'm mostly just trying to find the most expensive seafood tower I can get my hands on in this in this town that's my goal how has that been going so far? Good, really good. It's it's been it's been a successful journey so far. Is that Chesapeake Bay? Is that the uh, seafood? I don't know. They just keep lining up oysters and gin martinis. <laughs> and, and if you want to hang with the broadcasters, you got to be able to do it at like old school journalism drinkers. Right? Hendrix like, with a twist, right? Got to be able to hang with these news people, man. They can drink like pirates. <laughs> yeah, thanks. I want to as we wrap up. I want to give a thanks to both uh, Senators Roll and Tobin too awesome legislators um yeah these they they do great work out in pier and um we thank them for always coming on and being friends of the program so with that for me for me jake schoenbeck and the rhino contingent of our podcast that is dakota town hall next week on dakota town hall what's next week uh it's it's gonna be food fight time right and i mean that in a lot of ways it's a food fight on the actual What's left of the food tax bill, if it still exists in any way, it's going to be the end of the year negotiations, right? I mean, budget starts happening. I mean, if she vetoes it, yeah. it goes to veto day. Yeah, we're also next week, you know, there's probably going to be some more vetoes coming down. Um, and we will keep you updated on what gets vetoed and what doesn't, you know. If there's any, if there's any bill, if you had to guess right now, let's do this two minutes because we've already kept the listeners here for way too long. What bill's getting beat up? Uh, that property tax cut, if it goes through, the Senate recently started. Yeah, um, I agree. $425 per person. That's, there's a certain criteria there. Yeah, I'd agree. Um, yeah, I'll, we'll all agree on that's, that. That's, I think it's a likely ta- uh, veto because, I don't know, she'll find a reason to veto it. I'm sounding way too jaded this week, by the way. Um, just, it's been a week in politics and I think... Yeah, next week's going to be kind of the title card of the legislative session. It's going to be a, it's going to be a food fight. It's going to be a good one. 
I believe we're going to see the continuing of the split in the uh, right side of the of the Republican Party as the as the right to life and the right to life diet have to continue to battle heads a little. Dakota Town Hall, South Dakota's weekly podcast. Episodes available every Friday. For more information or to request availability, please go to dakotatownhall.com. Dakota Town Hall is presented in partnership with Home Slice Audio, produced by Leslie Klein. Music and audio production by Oakley Tai. Research by Home Slice Audio and Dakota Town Hall. Graphics by Timmy Grablander. Social media content by Scout Wheeler. And website design by Trey Wynn. Editorial advisor and executive producer, Brad Murdoch Jurgensen. Special thanks to all of our weekly guests. While we try to be accurate with all of our information, this show is recorded live and errors may happen. For corrections, please visit dakotatownhall.com. Hosted by Noah Grable, Jake Schoenbeck, and Brad Murdoch-Jurgensen. Dakota Town Hall, another Home Slice Audio production.